the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two now underway at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday, the seventh morning of the twelfth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. And let's see if I can find a way to introduce our next guest. And look who's coming up. All year long, they look to him to light the fire. And all year long... He answered the demands until he was physically unable to start tonight with two bad legs, the bad left hamstring and the swollen right knee. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. (laughs) High fly ball into right field. She is gone! For those who don't recognize the reference here, the impossible has happened. <laughs> For those who don't recognize the reference, uh, that was Kirk Gibson's dramatic pinch hit walk off home run in game one of the 1988 World Series, propelling the Dodgers to the victory over the A's. It was a, an iconic moment. He dragged himself in his two bad legs off of that bench, knowing if he hit a ground ball or even a gapper, he's done because he can't run. He had to either hit it out or strike out. And Kirk Gibson, off of one of the greatest closers in the history of baseball, Dennis Eckersley, went yard on his two bad legs. That was one of the uh, 
prideful stories that I told Peter Kersenow this morning to drag him off of the bench, injuries and all, to perform for you on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Mr. Gibson, uh, Mr. Kersenow, good to have you. How are you, my friend? That's great, Bob. Uh, thanks very much. <laughs> I couldn't help stop laughing. In truth, though, I did actually plan a broken ankle, not knowing it was broken uh, for a couple of games in college, but. Um, you know, on Pearl Harbor Day, if you can't drag yourself out of bed uh, to just talk a little bit on the radio, then something's really wrong. You're exactly right. I did a uh, Pearl Harbor commemoration at the start of the show today and, in fact, played all four minutes and 35 seconds of Roosevelt's speech announcing the day of infamy and of the declaration of war. So I completely agree. By the way, that little thing I just played, I pulled up in about 45 seconds uh, during the commercial break just now. I barely got – I had to pull up three different YouTube windows to be able to – because, you know, Vin Scully, being the, the greatest to ever do it, um, knew how to let the picture tell the story and, lo- and let the audience – or excuse me, the audio tell the story for the radio audience uh, and just let the crowd, you know, he said, look who's coming up. He didn't have to say Kirk Gibson. Everybody knew by the crowd. So there was so much of the uh, downtime where he wasn't speaking and the time where Gibson was warming up, you know, in the on-deck circle to to be able to, to take that at bat. I had to I had to pull up three different versions of the same video in order to be able to play them back to back to back to back to make that happen without it taking six minutes. So, so it was I remember a, that moment though. I watched it and it was really dramatic. That was really something. It's one of those times. You know, there may be a handful of occasions in sports that that equal uh, the drama that was yeah. uh, that home run. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You know, people think it won Game 7 of the world. It didn't. It won Game 1, uh, but just what it did was so incredibly iconic and monumental. Uh, and it's just a testament to grit. I mean, the guy could barely walk. He limped himself to the to the batter's box, and then after he hit it, he, he jogged around the bases with a pronounced and noticeable limp. I mean, he looked like a cripple, and yet there he was uh, making that moment happen. So... Uh, Anyway, Pete, thanks for dragging yourself to the batter's box. All right. Um, so Peter Kersenow, of course, is a Cleveland attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. There's a host of things I want to get into you, with you this morning. Pete, and I want to start with Biden's upcoming uh, conference call today with Vladimir Putin. Um, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so terrified, to be quite frank. I'm not trying to be too dramatic, but, but terrified of what can happen here if Joe Biden tries to talk tough with Vladimir Putin. Because Vladimir Putin has the Democrats' number. Vladimir Putin knows exactly what happened um, back in uh, uh, the Obama administration when Joe Biden, of course, was number two. And Barack Obama gave him this great, big, stern talking to and this red line warning. And if you invade Crimea, it's on. And we all know what happened. Vladimir Putin smiled at Obama, invaded Crimea, turned around and gave him two middle fingers. And Obama looked the other way and pretended he didn't see it. Uh, he has no fear of any repercussions, economic sanction-wise, military-wise, or anything else, when Democrats, squishy Democrats, are in power. And now, it's the same story. Ta- tens of thousands of troops being amassed along the Ukrainian border. Satellite imagery shows it. Putin denies it. And now here comes Joe Biden to give him a big talking to today. Do you have any belief whatsoever that Vladimir Putin is going to put any stock whatsoever into what Joe Biden says? Uh, Putin has taken the measure of Biden, took the measure of him a long time ago. Look, uh, Vladimir Putin is a bad guy. I mean, he, he's a Bond villain almost. He really is. I mean, the guy, former KGB colonel, 
Um, he is, many people think, the richest man in the world. He didn't get that way because he was working hard at some job. Nope, he stole the money, the, the oil money and such. This is a bad, bad, bad individual. In many ways, he's somewhat comical in, in terms of how bad he is. And uh, it's only by virtue of the fact that he's restrained by the, the collapse of the old Soviet Union and the continuing struggles of Russia that he doesn't try to expand into the his his goal his expressed goal is to reconstitute the old Soviet Union again. He thought that the fall of Soviet Union was one of the great tragedies in history, and he's taken the measure of the weak Joe Biden or any anybody who's weak. Bob, you and I know that there are certain people, especially among men, who can easily sense weakness in another man and will exploit that in the most innocuous way, it's when you're talking about sports and not military. You can sense weakness on the part of an adversary if you're boxing and football, whatever. In this, this is the most serious of circumstances, and Biden has shown weakness most dramatically in Afghanistan. It predated that. You know, I think they'd already taken the measure of Biden 30 years ago, 20 years ago. But Afghanistan was really the culmination of weakness, just not on the part of Biden, but in much of our superstructure, much of our progressive superstructure, all of our leaders who've been in this woke kind of uh, progressive ideology for a while now, that includes military leaders, our diplomatic leaders, is anyone seriously concerned about an Anthony Blinken or a Mark Milley? No, they're not. They've taken the, the measure of these individuals, and weakness provokes aggression. Weakness right. invites aggression. That's been the, the lesson throughout history, and I think, uh, unfortunately, this is, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't mean to say this in, in a pejorative fashion, even though I can't stand um, Brandon at all and think that he's a, a horrible president, but I think that um, the, this is really just going through the motions as far as Putin is concerned. I do think he's going to, he looks at Biden as a comical character, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if he does a few things that, at least back on the domestic front for Putin, it looks comical. He portrays Biden as being weak. It right. may not be to his advantage if he does so. I don't know. You know, they make these kinds of calculations. They've probably planned this for a long, long time already. Nonetheless, this dangerous time we're in because we have an incompetent leader and we have projected weakness in the most dramatic way with Afghanistan. So, Pete, let's let's go from one communist murderous dictator to another in staying in the foreign policy field here. Um, Biden, Brandon, has announced a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics, the Winter Olympics to come, which simply means they're not going to send a presidential delegation to be a part of it. It's essentially saying we're not recognizing you, we're not legitimizing you, yet American athletes are going to be there, which of course recognizes and legitimizes the communist Chinese government that is in the throes of a genocide, of a declared and accepted by the international community genocide of Uyghur Muslims and other undesirables. And we're going to go there uh, and 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 participate in this, uh, helping them generate money for their communist regime. And Pete, uh, as I said about the the conference call with uh, with uh, with Putin, how you know Biden is going to be handed his lunch. He was just handed his lunch a few weeks ago in a conference call with Xi Jinping. 
Never once did he talk about the Olympics and about the threat to boycott the Olympics if they do not stop putting people in concentration camps, denying them basic human rights, executing them, committing the genocide that we are speaking of. He didn't challenge Xi Jinping on any of those things. He just made nice with this communist dictator. So my question is, is the diplomatic... Uh, boycott of the Beijing Olympics enough, or does Brandon need to grow a set and say, we're not coming, we will not be a part of this Olympics if it's held in Beijing, move it somewhere else, or we're out? I think that half measures, such as the so-called diplomatic boycott, can sometimes have a worse effect than doing nothing whatsoever, that is, participating full-on in the Olympics. Because it shows you're not serious. It shows you're simply kind of checking a box to satisfy certain constituencies in the United States of America. It's a signal to uh, China that, you know what, we're not serious. Go ahead and continue doing what you're doing. And I know a lot of your listeners are concerned about this because I've spoken to them about them, uh, about China, the threat of China, which I think is our biggest threat right now. And... For a lot of people, it's real, but I think for a majority of people, it's kind of abstract. We hear about the Uyghurs, you know, we hear about LeBron James and Nike and others who are continuing to do massive amounts of business with them, despite the fact that they are engaged in slave labor. Um, It's really extraordinary, but this is not abstract. You can find, just go online, you can find images of horrific abuses of the Uyghurs and read stories about what's happening there. This is not speculative. Rape, murder, slavery of millions of people in China. They're interned in internment camps. This is an extraordinary thing. We have satellite imagery of this, or and close-up photography of some of it. It's an extraordinary thing to watch. These people are being treated as modern-day slaves. You don't even have to put a qualifier on it. They are slaves, to the extent they're not beaten and abused for other reasons. And yet we are dealing with this regime almost in a supplicant fashion. This is shameful. I don't want to, it's, it's difficult to equate this with anything throughout history. You know, some people may, may make reference to, you know, the, the Olympics in Germany, et cetera, et cetera. But if you know that it is governmental policy to enslave a portion of the populace, to exterminate them, they're engaging in a slow motion kind of genocide of the Uyghurs to do these kinds of things, and yet all you can do is say, yeah, a couple of our people, Anthony Blinken won't be coming by for the Olympics. If that's all you can do, that's shameful. History will will record that in the most shameful fashion. But it goes beyond mere shame. What this does is embolden the regime to take aggressive actions in other spheres, and that's going to be very dangerous. I've been saying for a while, and I heard it yesterday, uh, repeated by somebody who knows much more about this than I do, that I do think that Putin and Xi are coordinating their responses with respect to Ukraine and Taiwan. You know... (laughs) My concern is that at some point they make aggressive actions in a simultaneous fashion that will stretch our military. Well, it it won't stretch our military. We won't take any action under Biden, and we won't do it for a variety of reasons, one of which is we'd be overwhelmed. We couldn't, you know, mount a response in both of those theaters. So we're in a dangerous time because we have decided that, you know, for whatever reason, whether we decided or it's happenstance, I'll, I'll leave it to your listeners as to how it happened. But we got Biden as president. The, he is, 
you know, there's a lot of time to go yet, but in just the first 10 months of his presidency, he's demonstrated that he is probably the weakest president we've ever had, yeah. at least in modern times, and without question, he's the most incompetent president that we've had in modern times. This is dangerous, and again, I refer back to Afghanistan. Afghanistan is shameful for a number of reasons, among which, uh, I don't mean to go on a tangent on you, Bob, but we still have people there. We and I, You and I have talked about this. I mean, I was flabbergasted, as all of your listeners were, that um, we abandoned, we stranded Americans. We left them behind. For those of us of a certain age, this is astonishing. They do not want you to know that, and they don't yeah. want you to remember that. I saw an interview yesterday with Brett Baer with, uh, with Austin, Deloitte Austin, and uh, he was asked about, uh, you know, uh, with, if there was any regrets. And he said, I regret that 13 people got killed and that, that 10 civilians were killed in our strike after. But that's all. And then he said, and you have to remember, we evacuated in the span of 17 days 120,000 people. So what he did there was, A, ignore the fact that there were still Americans left behind, and B, the, re- the fact that they evacuated 120,000 people in 17 days is a tacit admission that they didn't vet any of them, and we don't know how many terrorists or terrorist sympathizers were jetted out of there in order to come to the United States. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a catastrophe all the way around, as is the one China policy, as is uh, his uh, uh, fear of standing up to Vladimir Putin. So that's where we stand on the foreign policy uh, front right now. Peter Kirstenau, take a time out, my friend. Go put some uh, salve on your wounds, and we'll be right back after this. <laughs> Okay, 1027, right back with Peter Kersenow. So, Pete, uh, I didn't really get an answer. I didn't really ask the question, so let me do it now directly. If you were president, if it was President Pete instead of President Brandon, would you uh, send our Olympic athletes to Beijing, or would you recognize the communist Chinese government the way Ronald Reagan did with the Soviets in 1980 and said that evil empire we will not legitimize, we will not recognize, we will not send our athletes to Moscow? Would you uh, would you do the same thing or with the CCP? It's a, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. I've heard all the sophisticated arguments from all these swells out there who say, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing stuff like this. It's not going to have much of an impact. And on top of that, you know, it's not the appropriate reaction Heck with that. I was about to say something um, else, but (laughs) no way in the world does the United States validate the atrocities that are going on in China. We do not do that. There's something bigger than the Olympics here. There's something bigger than than LeBron James or anybody else out there. And that is. Is it a fair comparison? Can can you speak to this? Would Would this be like. Not having the Olympics in Berlin in 1936, which we did, and we went, and Jesse Owens stood up to the Fuhrer and completely dismantled the, uh, his, his, his myth of, of white supremacy and, and so forth, and white superiority. But, Pete, this would be like having the Olympics in Berlin in 1940. Not 1936, 1940, after the invasion of Poland, after the Holocaust had begun. Nobody would have sent their athletes to Berlin in 1940, but that's essentially what we're doing now in 19, or in uh, 2021. Yeah, for a lot of historical reasons, I think it's problematic to try to compare the two. But it's the most apt type of comparison you can come up with. It's the one that people can resonate with most easily, I think. Um, I don't think it's the same as 1940. 
um, for a variety of reasons. And, and we, we could talk about this for the next couple of hours. I think it's an interesting discussion we can have, but I don't think we have to. I think that there are enough similarities. We know there's an extant evil out there. And it is, I'm, I'm not I'm missing words. The communist Chinese regime is evil. If it were to have its way, millions of people would die. It wants to uh, expand its territorial, they've had it already, they've exerted, asserted territorial rights to much of the South China Sea. They have trampled upon the rights of, of many of the um, Malaysian, the Indonesians, not, not to mention the Taiwanese, the Philippines. This is a brutal regime. It's a fascist communist regime, if you, if you can put it that way. And we shouldn't be countenancing it. In the same way that we saw very clearly what Hitler was doing, we can see now what China is doing. And we ha- here's the difference, though, Bob. This is why I think it makes it worse now. We have a proliferation of media everywhere. In addition, we have the example of the horrific atrocities committed by the Nazis. This is not something we're going in cold. We have examples of this. We know what happens when evil is not stanched at the first opportunity. And here we are, we're doing business with them, billions of dollars worth, we're, we're, we're kowtowing to them because of the almighty dollar. Uh, th- this is incredible what's going on here. We are going to rule the day that we've treated them with kid gloves like this. We should be treating, and I understand there are millions of people whose livelihood depend on this symbiotic relationship with China. You know what? It's easy for somebody like me to say, because I don't have any relationship with China, at least directly or anything that that I know of. But nonetheless, at some point, if we are going to maintain, if if we're going to be engaged in this wokeism about the United States of America, the least we could do then is recognize evil when we see it and not to do business with them. They're worried about calling America systemically racist and oppressive and violating a people's rights. And yet, this is why the LeBron James example to me is the most egregious of that. Uh, He refuses to acknowledge uh, the genocide and the concentration camps and everything else going on in his favorite country in the world, which, of course, is communist China. Peter Kirsten, I will come right back after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Where is that? Just because the president is incoherent doesn't mean you have to be. The Bob France Authority, keeping you politically coherent. On AM 1420, The Answer. Not sure what kind of over-the-counter drugs that are keeping Peter Kirstenau coherent right now, but I'm glad he's taking them because uh, he's sick, he's under the weather, but he is fighting hard to make it through another segment with us here on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter Kirstenau, as we begin this segment, um, terrible news to report. Uh, the unemployment rate in this country has risen to 100% among Cuomo brothers. So uh, it's a very, very difficult uh, time, uh, at, uh, especially at CNN. I used that little Babylon B joke um, to ask you this question, and this wasn't on our list of topics for this morning, Pete, but I just wanted to get your reaction to it because I saw it this morning. CNN actually uh, offering this mea culpa here, this uh, admission, that they and other liberal media outlets are working with the White House. Shocker here. The White House has been working with major <clears throat> news outlets behind the scenes to reshape their coverage on the economic crisis, according to CNN. 
The administration has been briefing major newsrooms over the past week while discussing with them trends pertaining to job creation, economic job creation. I love that. The entire country got shut down last year. Millions were laid off because of the orders of government. Now, this year, when their jobs are opened back up again and people are going back to work, they're calling it job creation. Hilarious. Anyway, job creation, economic growth, supply chains, and more, according to CNN, citing anonymous sources. The administration has argued that the country's economy is in much better shape than it was last year, in the COVID year. Again, shocker. Um, I'll give you this line and then get your reaction to all of this, Peter. And By the way, you probably remember Nancy Pelosi kind of saying something off the cuff when asked about uh, the economy a couple of months ago at the beginning of a press conference. She said kind of off the cuff, it would help us a lot. No, it was selling the bill. It was a selling the bill. Great. Sorry. It was selling the, uh, the Build Back Better bill. Uh, and uh, she said, uh, you guys could help a little bit on that, essentially asking the media to carry the water and push and support the Build Back Better bill. But... Respond to this one, Peter. Uh, Washington Post columnist Dana Milbank wrote Friday that the Biden administration has received unrelenting negative coverage when compared to former President Donald Trump. Quote, the findings confirmed my fear. My colleagues in the media are serving as accessories to the murder of democracy. After a honeymoon of slightly positive coverage in the first three months of the year, Biden's press for the past four months has been as bad as and for a time worse than the coverage Trump received for the same four months of 2020. I, I, got, I got nothing for that. That's why you're here. Go ahead, Pete. <laughs> and all of your listeners are laughing, too. I mean, this is so ridiculous. It doesn't even require commentary. We have just gone through, uh, at least uh, as of 10 months ago or 11 months ago, the four most intense years of media propaganda we've ever seen in this country, relentlessly going after Trump. And Biden, who can't think his way out of a paper bag, has been treated with kid gloves. Had Trump done one-tenth of the things that Biden has done so far in just his first year, it would have been nuclear among the, the media. I mean, this it doesn't even require commentary. I think your folks get it. But what bothers me about this, there's a serious component to this, Bob. I mean, as, as laughable as that is, the serious component that we all know is that we no longer have a, well, if we ever did, we always had a, a press that got things wrong or were slightly biased. That was always the case throughout my entire life. The press always leaned a little bit to the left. There was no doubt about that. But at least you had a sense that they were trying to get it right, and they would end up, you know, very often still a little bit on the left because that was their predilection. So, you know, we got that, and you could adjust for that. But now it's completely off the charts. They are, I think it's Jim Treacher who says that, you know, if you think of the press as Democratic operatives with bylines, then you get what they're going. I mean, this is extraordinary what they're doing. They're coordinating with the White House. Would they be coordinating with Nixon on his messaging related to impeachment? I mean, this is just, it's, it's nuts. And that's why, I, one of the main reasons why I think many of us, many Americans are cynical about what's going on in the United States of America. We think that so many of our institutions are corrupt, and that's the right word. With respect to the press, it's corrupt. They're not simply biased. They're corrupt. The fact that they did not cover, uh, well, two things. The greatest political scandal of all time was uh, perpetuated with the willing assistance of the press. Number two is we have the Hunter Biden laptop scandal that they said with the assistance of 
just despicable people in our intelligence community saying it was Russian disinformation. No evidence of that whatsoever, and they refused to cover it whatsoever. And the polling shows that had they even made mention of it a little bit, Trump likely would have won. Even with, you know, you, whatever you say in terms of the conduct of the election, up to, up to um, half of the people that, uh, strike that, that's not true. It's uh, like, I think it was 10% to 20% of the people who were completely oblivious to the fact that uh, of the contents on the Hunter Biden laptop would have changed their vote and that would have been enough to swing the election. So this has major consequences. And this type of gaslighting on the part of the press, I don't think anybody's buying it anymore. I think many people, I, I have not watched, uh, and I bet your listeners have not watched uh, mainstream news coverage, but by that I mean ABC, NBC, CBS, for for me, it's been decades, because I always had a sense that they're going in the wrong direction. I don't have time to waste on, on, as Trump would put it, fake news. I don't have time for it. I, just give me the news. CNN has just become an arm of the Democratic Party. Um, and if they're not an arm of the Quite literally. Democratic they're meeting with, yeah, they're meeting with White House officials on how to craft yeah. the narrative the White House wants. They literally are, you know, now kind of employed by the, the, the DNC. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but at least we know now what side they're on. It's very transparent, you know, that they're simply, you know, doing Jen Psaki's job for her on a regular basis. Uh, but democracies can't continue to function if we don't have an honest press. And that's part of the reason why we have this divisiveness in this country. I mean, think about all of these flashpoints that we've had over the last several years, things that have divided Americans, things that have caused conflagrations. Um, the, the most uh, recent example, of course, is the Kyle Rittenhouse coverage, where they lied about everything. They simply lied about everything. They, they became players in the story when you had the one person following the jurors. I mean, this is extraordinary stuff that's going on. And I think many of, many of your younger listeners, you know, they may have been immersed in this for a long time and don't realize what the role of the press used to be, at least in terms of trying to be an impartial arbiter of the facts. The press these days is a player, and they're playing not just on the Democratic side. It's almost as if they're playing on the anti-American side. Yes, I will go almost. that far. Sorry, Dana Milbank. Sorry, all, all these clowns out here. It's just extraordinary what's, what's happening, and we shouldn't stand for it. We should push back on every opportunity, and we should laugh in their faces. No question about it. Peter, I've got two squad stories here for you, and you can pick A or B as to which one you go first. <laughs> Which, which 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 fist do you want? If we were in front of one another right now, I'd say tap a fist and I'll open it up. Which one do you want? Um, right, uh, right. You'll take the right. That would be AOC, otherwise known as ADC. Alexandria Damasio-Cortez says that the smash and grab crimes that are all over our TV screens every night, particularly in California, but up and down the West Coast, the smash and grab crimes in which um, uh, criminals are just walking into stores, smashing their, their display cases and grabbing Lord knows how much money's worth of, uh, of goods and walking out because they fear, A, no jail time, uh, and in fact, uh, that they won't even be held with bail, having to, having to be able to post a, a, a bond of any sort. Uh, and B, they can't be charged with a felony as long as what they steal is $950 or less per store. Not per day, per store. If it's under $950, that's the California law, then it's a misdemeanor, not a felony. So smash and grab crimes are up all over the place. Alexandria Damasio-Cortez said yesterday that... Um, this isn't happening, that this is a fantasy, that it's just simply not true. She said that um, she keeps hearing these stories about smash and grab. She heard about a Walgreens, but if you look into it, uh, it doesn't act. It, uh, how did she phrase it? It doesn't um, uh, it doesn't live up to the hype. I'm going to have to paraphrase that. I can't find the uh, the line now. Peter, 
how delusional do you have to be to deny this massive rise in crime that is the result of, as I say, a soft on crime district attorneys uh, that are that are you right. know not requiring uh, you know decent sized bonds, especially for repeat offenders and violent criminals, and b uh, you know the 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 defund the police movement that has made law enforcement so uh, absent essentially in so many of these towns. She's literally trying to tell America it's not happening. It's a lie. It's not true. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's a knucklehead. But beyond that, you know, it goes back to the just previous discussion that we had with respect to the media. It's astonishing to me that I talk with people on the left fairly regularly. I mean, just ordinary people on the left, you know. I'm not talking politicians and stuff like that, but people who are, you know, just generally left of center. And 80% of the things that we know about and concerned about, they're completely oblivious to because they're getting their news from CNN and MSNBC, and they're not covering it. I know all due respect to, to Cortez, although she should know these things because she's a member of Congress, it is very conceivable that she's oblivious to it because she watches MSNBC, CNN, and listens to, uh, you know, left-wing radio or, or media. Uh, it is that is, it's that conceivable. But having said that, if you do just a modicum of homework, I mean, if you're, if you're a sentient being at all, the fact of the matter is we've seen the crime spikes across the country that have been occurring for the last couple of years at the instance of Democratic or left-leaning prosecutors and politicians who are making excuses for the massive rise in crime. And I mean massive. We have had the largest spike in homicide in American history in the last year, 30 percent rise, not 3%, not 2%. You may have those kinds of fluctuations from year to year. A 30% rise in homicides and other violent crimes are similarly high. It's extraordinary what's happening. All I have to do is open your eyes and you can see how, you know, you, you go to San Francisco. Last time I was in San Francisco was before the pandemic, so it's not necessarily the best um, comparison. But even there, you can already see the deterioration of San Francisco, you know, from a, a, a a lifestyle perspective, because you saw the homeless all over the place, defecating all over the place. It was just extraordinary what I saw there uh, compared to the last time I had been there. But also, we see that mainly on the left coast, but everywhere, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, even Washington, D.C., you name it, you've got these rampant uh, crime sprees that are occurring, and it's, it's from A to Z. It's from murder all the way to shoplifting. Uh, we've not seen something quite like this maybe ever in the history of the United States. The media, to the extent not they want to downplay it, I think people see what's happening. You talk to shop owners, you talk to cops, you talk to, as I do, and they've not seen something like this maybe ever. Maybe for a brief period of time in the 1960s when there were certain riots, you would see it intensely like that, but not on a pervasive basis like we see now. And the cause of this is something that I think I was on your show several years ago, Bob, telling you about is that, you know, my usual thing about if you want to know what the left has planned for the United States five years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today, because that's where they do all their, their nutty things. They plan all their things out. They try out their nutty ideas. And we had a hearing on... Um, uh, things such as elimination of cash bail, redu reduction in sentences. And I, w I was saying to everybody, I was saying, this is nuts. This is simple craziness. You come to my neighborhood, crime is going to go up as a result of this. Law-abiding people understand. They don't want this kind of stuff. But nonetheless, and yet, Wisconsin... Go ahead, Bob. 
No, no, I, I was just going to say, and yet law-abiding people don't want this. And yet it's those law-abiding people who vote for these these far-left politicians and district attorneys yep. and so forth that are bringing them this crime. That's the problem. The, the, the people in these, in these you know, large urban centers, generally dominated by minorities, who are voting for left-wing politicians, left and right, and it's those left-wing politicians that are taking away their police, taking away their DAs that have, uh, you know, st- uh, tough stances on crime, because they would rather have, you know, cousin, you know, their cousin, I'll say that, I don't want to make up a name, they're, they're rather have their cousin who's committing crimes not go to jail longer than actually be protected from uh, the crimes of other people's cousins. Quite frankly, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, Bob, one of the things that we have failed to do as conservatives is pay attention to the down-ballot elections. Um, you know, we saw it most uh, recently with respect to school board elections, and people were aghast at what was happening in our schools, and that's because we had forgotten about running for school board, and the left had taken over many school boards, and it was injecting poison into the into our school systems same is true among prosecutors in san francisco you got chase Boudin, in philadelphia you've got larry krasner in chicago kim fox and la uh, george gascon all of these prosecutors who are soft on crime who let criminals out you know with nothing i mean right not even in it's extraordinary so we had a hearing at the civil rights commission about the elimination of cash bail i still remember one witness testifying saying that women should never ever be incarcerated said that with a straight face i said and i raised my hand i said <laughs> wait a minute hold it are you t- if somebody commits murder they shouldn't be in prison he said yes I, I mean, it, you you know it sounds strange so what about right the, the now, manson women Su- Su- susan atkins susan atkins leslie van houten patricia krenwinkle slaughtered people sharon tate uh and 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 a host of others they're women they don't go to prison Bob, for historical reasons, women should not go to prison. You don't understand the dynamics here. Uh, we should excuse all those kinds of things. If you don't understand the, 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 the dynamics at play here, the sexual dynamics at play, sexism and everything, then oh, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it. Yeah, yeah, I tell you, Bob, you don't get it. It's the patriarchy. Hey, Pete, we ran out of time for the other fist, which uh, which contains Sharia Tlaib. So I'm just going to give it to you real quick. I'll only have about 30 seconds for your answer, though. But Sharia Tlaib uh, is the other squad member that I had a story on here. And this is what she has to say. Oh, doggone it. Our conversation may have screwed me up here. Uh, or I think I found it. Sharia Tlaib says... And, oh, boy, this is tough. I apologize. Okay. And still... Close to two hundred thousand dollars in debt, and I still owe about seventy thousand dollars, and most of it was interest. Most of it was our own government making what money. What she said prof- at the beginning of the clip that I butchered there was she worked full time Monday through Friday and took weekend classes to get her law degree and still uh, graduated close to two hundred thousand dollars in debt. She said she still owes over seventy thousand dollars, and most of it is interest. She wants you and me, and my neighbor, and yours, to pay her debt. She wants student loan debt to be forgiven. Peter, she makes $174,000 a year in Congress, which is triple the average American salary, but she wants the average American uh, average American, to pay that money back to those banks that she borrowed for her law degree. Give me your response in 30 to 60. Nobody put a gun to her head in taking out those loans. She benefited from those loans. Pay your own blank bills. And on top of that, you've got people out. This is a transfer of wealth from upper middle class and wealthy people 
or, or two, from, from poor and middle-class people to upper-class middle uh, people and wealthy people. If you've got a guy who's performing services and, and doing a job that is of use to Americans, a welder, um, a guy working, you know, at, at, uh, even on a, an assembly line, anywhere else, a guy who's actually contributing to America, he's paying for, he'd be funding for Tlaib's theater arts education. That's exactly what they're saying. For her gender degree study degree, or excuse me, gender studies degree, boy, I can't speak. Her gender studies degree should be paid for by that bricklayer who learned this trade and is working his tail off eight to five every single day. That's exactly yeah, what they useful want. Useful people transferring money to <laughs> useless people. Kirsten, I'll go see the trainer. Get yourself checked out, all right? All right, Bob. Take care. Thank you, my friend. That's Peter Kirsten on AM 1420. The answer played hurt today. We're proud of him. We'll be back. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. It's 10.58. I've only got less than a minute here to tell you uh, that tomorrow I'm very much looking forward to an interview uh, that I think you will be, too. And that is an interview with Alex Berenson. Alex Berenson is the former New York Times writer who was booted for telling the truth um, about the coronavirus and about the lockdowns and the reactions to the coronavirus. Alex Berenson will be with me uh, tomorrow at 10.35 to talk about his book called Pandemia. Yes, exactly like it sounds. It's about the pandemic, and it's about the hysteria surrounding the pandemic, which is where we get pandemia. And uh, Alex has uh, written extensively about the uh, unbelievable uh, statistics. The collection of statistics that he has put together is amazing. The research that he has done and the irrefutable truth about what is being done to us in the name of this pandemic by our government that refuses to be transparent. The book is transparent, shines a light on all of it, so that's coming up on tomorrow's program. Thanks, everybody, for being here today. Thanks to Mark Meadows. Thanks to Peter Kersenow. Thanks to our team, and thanks to you for listening. Be well, be safe, remain free. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.